Hello everybody, welcome back to another brand new episode of The Casual Criminalist. This is one of our shorts, but it is a bloody one. It's The Berlin Butcher and his bloody bratwurst. And this, as always, is written by Callum. I am going to read it. Uh, the story here is that I've never read this before. We're going to read it and enjoy it together, hopefully. And as this is a short one, let's just crack on. But before I do, just let me say, if you're listening to this in its podcast form, well, a review of the show would be greatly appreciated if you're watching it on YouTube. Well, you know what to do. Smash that like button. Or if you don't like the show, that's what the dislike button is for. Let's jump in. I remember the horse meat scandal? I do, Callum. This was, wasn't Ikea accident allegedly? <laughs> Just throw that in. Just in case. Allegedly, they had like horse meat in the meatballs or something. Somehow. Uh, like that. I remember I went to Morocco a few years ago with my wife and we went to the store and we bought some sausages and we'll be like, oh, those would be nice for breakfast. They look good. And so we bought them, took them back, cooked them up for breakfast. They, these sausages taste a bit different, but they're not bad. And then we found out that we had eaten horse sausages. And it was like, good. I mean, I don't care. It was it was tasty. Uh, I'm happy to eat horse. Though with the horse meat scandal, the problem was we didn't know we were eating horse. It's that like I'm happy eating horse, but not if it's advertised as cow or pig or whatever. Back in 2013, Britain was up in arms because it was discovered that some of our favorite beef products actually contained hefty portions of equine goodness. 100% in the case of those Findus microwave lasagnas. Meanwhile, the French just looked on confused, thinking, yes, horse lasagna, it's delicious. What's the problem? Yeah, the French love eating horses. I mean, why not? I don't understand like what the big problem is. I mean, people are like, oh yeah, we ride them and they're so beautiful. It's like, you could ride a cow if you wanted to. I mean, you probably couldn't. I mean, you wouldn't like it, and it's slow. If you want a case of mistaken meat which would shock even our friends across the channel, you need only to look to Germany. Back in the early 20th century, a brutal criminal sent a wave of panic through the city of Berlin, spawning an urban legend which will have you thinking twice whenever you go to munch on a currywurst. I'm talking about the case of the Berlin Butcher. Not to be confused with The Butcher Berlin, which is a burger restaurant with a respectable 4.2 star Google rating. Shout out! <laughs> No, the butcher we're covering today has some of the worst reviews in the history of the food and beverage industry, on account of the fact that he may have turned hundreds of unwitting Berliners into accidental cannibals. Well, that is dark and intense. The Hot Dog Man If you had walked down the streets of Berlin in 1920, we might have spotted a strange little man running a hot dog stand outside the Silesian train station, now called Ostbahnhof. Maybe. My German with German pronunciation I tend to just say it in a German accent, like Ostbahnhof. That sounds more Dutch. Ostbahnhof. Maybe. This was advice. And I was like, doesn't it just sound a bit racist? And people were like, no, but it does actually sound closer to the real pronunciation. So I was like, okay. This was Carl Grossman, a local Bradfurst slinger in his mid-50s and a familiar face to the commuters who came and went through his crime-ridden district. The hot dog man looked skinny in his oversized suit, with a menacing scowl seemingly permanently fixed to his moustached face. Whenever the sausage business was slow, he was known to revert to his old profession, begging for change on the streets. Despite these humble career paths, Carl is 
actually relatively wealthy for this side of town. He had held many jobs over the years working in textile factories, butchers, shops, farms, and even had a brief stint in the military during World War I. After his medical discharge, it was rumored that he used his experience as a butcher to trade in black market meat well into the post-war period, when food was strictly rationed. By the 1920s, he had settled down in Berlin for a while and was renting a tiny apartment in a building on Langerstrasse. Again, maybe. I did my German accent thing. Carl wasn't exactly popular among his neighbors, mostly on account of his sexual proclivities. He was well known for drunkenly bringing prostitutes back almost every night and waking up other tenants with the racket. Oh my. Whenever he didn't feel like paying his ladies in cash, he would go searching at Andreas Platz Park for young runaways and homeless women to coerce into coming home with him. He'd flash a fat stack of papier marks and offer them food, shelter, and employment as his housekeeper in exchange for sex. But what a pleasant man. Not really. His live-in maids must have been doing a very good job of cleaning up the place, though, because the neighbors not often noticed a horrific smell emanating from Grossman's doorway. He usually explained it was down to some spoiled chicken left out on the windowsill by accident. I mean, you can get away with that once, right? But then the next time, they'll be like, why do you keep spoiling chicken? What's wrong with you? Understandably, nobody wanted to really get more involved in Grossman's business than they had to, so they kind of just accepted his excuses and just left him to it. The kinds of arrangements he was striking up with these women weren't particularly strange in interwar Berlin, where unemployment and poverty were rife. What was strange, though, was the fact that more women seemed to enter Carl's apartment than ever left. Yeah, that is definitely strange. It sounds like he's killing them, and because we're on the casual criminal list, I'm going to absolutely bet that that is what is happening. Disappearances It was around the same time that the Berlin police were battling a spate of missing persons cases. Oh, I wonder where they went missing. <laughs> From the spring of 1918, the brutally dismembered bodies of young women had been periodically discovered in Lusenstadt Canal and Engelbecken Reservoir. Many were never identified. The killings continued over the next few years, and in October 1920, a woman named Frieda Schubert wound up as the latest victim. She had been working as a prostitute at the time. When the police interviewed witnesses at her usual haunts, they reported seeing her head off with a John on the evening of her disappearance. A little more digging revealed that it was none other than Carl Grossman, once again living up to his name. Ah, because like Grossman, 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 he is a gross man. I guess I didn't really need to explain. Let's move on. Police searched his apartment and discovered Frida's handbag. Grossman calmly explained that yes, he had harder for the night, but she had simply left in a hurry and forgotten her bag. This guy is super guilty. <laughs> I mean, also because this is about the butcher of Berlin and he fed her to... Oh, God. The case continued. The cases continued to pile up for another ten months, bringing the total number of bodies to over twenty. Throughout this time, Mr. Grossman became a familiar face at the local police station. Not because he was under suspicion or anything, he was just having the worst luck with his housekeepers. He filed report after report, claiming that his living maids were robbing him and then vanishing without a trace. Eventually, the police began to get sick of the sight of the guy. By 1921, the spate of disappearances and/or murders. And I guess probably both <laughs> had reached epidemic levels. The death of a 24-year-old Johanna Sanowski was the most recent, and it prompted the police to launch a renewed appeal for information in the area around the station where it was believed the killer was based. The strange sounds. 
The posters which they put up were spotted by several of Grossman's suspicious neighbors, including husband and wife Helene and Mannheim Istig. They were among the many residents who had heard sounds of violence erupting from Grossman's room late at night, but nobody really complained unless it was keeping them up. That was the grim reality of being an impoverished woman back then. Violence was seen as a plain fact of life, and even if the violence had been reported, the police weren't exactly in the habit of rushing to rescue destitute runaways. After discovering that an infamous serial killer might be living in their neighborhood, however, the Istig started to take the plight of Grossman's partners a bit more seriously. These top-tier busybodies drilled a hole in his door. Whoa! Dude, just call the police. That's what they're for. Although it doesn't seem that they're doing a very good job. But, I mean, they want information at this point. Don't go all uh, vigilante. They reported what they saw to the police, but like I said, domestic violence against fallen women was barely even considered criminal back then. It would be another couple of weeks before the incident that finally brought the police back to Grossman's door. On the 21st of August, while walking through Andreasplatz Park, he happened across a young woman named Marie Nietzsche. She had just been released from the Moabit prison after serving a month-long sentence, and she took him up on his offer of lunch and a few drinks. Late that night, the residents of 88 and 89 Lager Strasse were once again awoken by the sounds of screaming on the fourth floor. But this time it was so loud and tortured that even the laissez-faire lot decided that they had to intervene. Grossman's landlady, who lived in the apartment above, got the police. When they kicked the door to the apartment open, they found Marie on the bed with her hands and feet tied. She had been bludgeoned to death. Grossman stood over the body in the process of cutting it to pieces. Finally, the neighbors understood that for the last two years they had been listening to the murder and dismemberment of innocent women, and none of them had done a damn thing about it. Yeah, this is pretty shocking. Like... I mean, really? And by pretty shocking, I mean horrifically shocking. The pastor rests. Perhaps if his neighbors had been offered a peek at Carl's criminal record, they might have not been so chill about his late-night hobbies. His most recent charge was for first-degree murder, but the list of offenses went back over three decades. It started with a short jail sentence for begging, and then it took a bizarre turn where he was arrested for an indecent act with a sheep in 1896. This is really bizarre, but we know the guy's a weirdo. But, I mean, that is that is a pretty special level of weirdo, isn't it? I know you want me to make a joke about the Welsh here, but I'm better than that, and so should you be. Uh, things took any... I don't know if that's a, uh, a joke, that because Callum's British, I'm obviously British. Uh, we, you know, we might make fun of the Welsh for uh, relations with sheep, but obviously we're taking the high road here. Things took an even darker turn the following year when Grossman was convicted of the sexual assault of an underage girl in Nuremberg. Following that was another case of sexual assault on two minors which landed him a 15-year stint of penal servitude. So how did he manage to go about his deadly business even after 25 convictions were hanging over his head? Well, throughout his youth, Grossman spent much of his time traveling around the country in search of agricultural work. It's likely that nobody in his neighborhood had any idea what he got up to in those distant rural districts. Even if they did, some of them had a reason to keep their mouths shut. Like I mentioned before, Grossman was relatively wealthy in the slums of Berlin, and he had lent out money to a good few of his neighbors, including the Istigs. I mean, on the other hand, though, if he goes to prison you're probably not going to have to pay that money back because he's going to prison forever. Did they execute people back in Germany at this time? Maybe you'd just be killed. Revelations 
And that wasn't all this Good Samaritan did to enrich his local community. Remember when I mentioned his stint as a black market meat dealer during the war? Well, it turns out that many of the people in the area had been buying from him. When the media caught wind of this story, they gave Grossman his iconic nickname, the Berlin Butcher, and began to indulge in some macabre speculation. See, given the hacked-up state of the bodies and Grossman's past work experience, the police were entertaining the idea that he might have actually disposed of his victims by selling their meat to his customers. This means that the bratwursts at his card might have actually contained pieces of the women he murdered. Of course, 1920s forensics was pretty much still stuck in the Dark Ages, so there's no way to know for sure, but the tabloids took this angle and ran with it, turning it into the most popular version of events. What I will say is that it wouldn't be completely unprecedented. Another German serial killer named Karl Denker had been killing and cannibalizing homeless people around the same time that Grossman was active. Denker also ran a small meat shop in his town and was strongly suspected of selling off the meat of his victims to turn a profit from his crimes. What is wrong with you? Whether either of these men really did sell their victims as food is lost to history, as is the true extent of their crimes. As for the Berlin Butcher, reports from the time vary as to how many women's lives he claimed. What we know for sure is that the police found bloodstains believed to be from three more victims, meaning four had died there in recent months. Grossman eventually admitted to the same total during interrogations. A newspaper report from 1921, however, puts the number much higher. Based on police reports in the killer's personal diary, this report claimed that Grossman was strongly suspected of more than 20 killings in as many years, some linked to the unidentified bodies found in the reservoir and canal. Yeah, I mean, if he only killed four people, did, weren't the neighbors complaining about the sounds going on in his apartment for ages? It definitely... I, although, if you're going to jail forever, I, often the serial killers, they're like, yeah, 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 I killed like 100 people. And they can't prove it or anything, but they're just like, oh, screw it, I'm in prison forever anyway. But without even a name for many of these victims, the police didn't have much to build any additional charges on. The ones he had confessed to would just have to do. And so, in July 1922, almost one year after his arrest, Rossman was brought to trial. Trial and death. During the trial, the prosecution brought forward a parade of witnesses who testified to Grossman's propensity for violence. These included several of the women he had brought back to his apartment in the past. One woman named Erica reported being creeped out by the guy in his strange-smelling bedsit, deciding to back out of the arrangement at the last minute. Other survivors had less fortunate stories to tell about how they had to endure Grossman's sexual assaults and beatings after taking him up on offers out of desperation. In his defense, Grossman just explains that he had killed the three women in rage as they had tried to steal money from him. Crimes of passion were generally viewed with more leniency than cold-blooded killings, but Grossman must have sensed that his story wasn't going to fly. On the 5th of July, just three days into the proceedings, he was found hanging dead in his jail cell. And I think we can all say here, oh no! Whether dished out by the state or himself, death by hanging was an inevitability for the Berlin butcher, so he had essentially just expedited the process. With him died the knowledge of just how many victims he claimed throughout his criminal career, and whether or not these train station hot dogs were really fit for human consumption. It's a pretty grim tale from start to finish here, yeah? but I guess if we're looking to take something away from it, it'd be this. If you ever find yourself in the same position as Grossman's neighbors, do you really want to hold off on calling the police until it turns into some horrible story like this? one. No, you don't. If you're hearing people being tortured in your neighbor's house, call the police. Unless you're my neighbors, because I scream in videos. I do a channel called Business Blaze, where often I'll get a bit of a shouting on. <laughs> so far, the police have not been called on me. <laughs> that and the golden rule. Never buy indiscriminate meat from shady guys down the pub, but I reckon you already knew that. Yeah, just buy your meat from a butcher's or a supermarket or online. Don't buy it from a weird shady dude. <laughs> 
This has been another episode of The Casual Criminalist. This was one of our shorter episodes. We have one of these per week. We also have a full-length episode, which runs about an hour every week. If you are enjoying this, please do subscribe to this show, whether you are watching it on YouTube or listening to it as a podcast. It's available in both formats. Hooray! And, uh, yeah, leave me a review, leave a comment, smash that like button, all of that good stuff, and I'll see you in the next one. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.